You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everyone. Is it time to go full virtual? Duke Energy of signs and voices outside Duke Energy's annual meeting, environmental groups railing about the company's coal ash disaster and what they say is its reluctance to embrace solar energy. Earlier this month, following years of anti-coal protests, Duke Energy entirely abandoned its in-person annual meeting. The move adds Duke to a growing roster of online-only AGM firms, including ConocoPhillips, Sprint, and HP. Management insists the switch will lead to more investor participation. Others, like the Council of Institutional Investors, Calsters, and the New York City Comptroller, aren't so keen. On today's program, part one of Is Going Virtual Inevitable? There is a little bit of pushback through some investors who really like to have that physical touch point. But within the general trend of the world, become more international, more digital, more global, I think the virtual ATM happened um, pretty organically. Jimmy Chu in the outlook for online AGMs. And we've got another edition of But Better. Be better. Be better. Takeaways from prize-winning IROs who tackle the same issues you do. That's coming up later, but first, this week's IR Update. Australia's IR association, IRA, has proposed a new comply or explain code of conduct for proxy advisors. The industry made local headlines last year after a string of contentious votes. Figures revealed at the IR magazine Palo Alto think tank confirm the growing move to virtual-only annual general meetings. The research shows a 34% increase in VSMs in the last year alone. Small caps, especially techs, are far away the biggest adopters of virtual-only AGMs. The list of benefits were given as the time-saving, usually higher attendance, convenience, questions being kept to strategy, and prevention of a uh, free lunch crowd from just turning up. New research shows only about 1 in 10 board directors believe the Dodd-Frank Act should be left alone. But many prefer a facelift to wholesale repeal. A survey conducted by consultancy Spencer Stewart and NYSE Governance Services finds while almost 60% say some provisions should be tweaked, they also say Dodd-Frank shouldn't be dismantled. Only one-third of directors polled want the legislation to be completely repealed. The House is now set to vote on the Financial Choice Act, the Republicans' Dodd-Frank replacement legislation. Speaking to community bankers gathered in a White House garden, U.S. President Donald Trump said repeal of the Dodd-Frank bill is just the start of a long-term regulatory rollback. I have taken action to roll back burdensome regulations that undermine community banks, especially, I know you're going to be very disappointed at this Dodd-Frank, right? No, it's out of control. And by the way, not only for community banks, for banks, period. We could take community out of that one, right? 
No, Dodd-Frank, we're uh, working on that right now, and you'll see a very big difference because you want to get out and make our country work properly. In the meantime, major U.S. institutional investors are lining up against the new legislation. In a letter to lawmakers, Council of Institutional Investors Executive Director Ken Birch compared the risk of removing Dodd-Frank with removing seatbelts from cars. Birch sees several threats to what he calls fundamental shareholder protections. Among them is a provision that would set high hurdles on shareholder proposals. Uh, Quite simply, the Choice Act would shut down shareholder proposals. Small investors certainly could not file proposals with such high ownership hurdles. And even our largest pension fund members rarely hold 1% of the stock. For most companies, the only folks who would be eligible to submit shareholder proposals would be large mainstream asset managers that have never submitted such a proposal. That is troubling because shareholder proposals are an essential tool for investors to express views to management and especially to boards on major governance and other issues. The number of shareholder proposals, by the way, has not climbed significantly. There is some noise out there that there's an onslaught of them. That's just not true. In recent years, the number has vacillated from a high of 1,100 and some in 2009 to a low of just under 700 in 2011. The only thing that has changed is that support for shareholder proposals has grown and represents a significant proportion of investors, not just special interests. In 2016, more than 60% of proposals that came to a vote received at least 25% support. That's double the level in 2000. You'll find the full comment letter and an excellent podcast on CII's website. Now it's time for But Better, how award-winning IROs tackle the same issues you do. Here's your host, Johnny Oddlot. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Today's IR Magazine Award winners are Julie Tracy of Wright Medical Group, Harold D. Ramo of Jack in the Box, and Jason Scott at J.P. Morgan Chase. Contestants must match the anonymous investment community comment with the correct prize winner. Here's our first comment. At this company, there is good availability of IR people, and they do a good job of explaining beyond the usual transcript of the conference call. From a disclosure perspective, they offer all the information they can. Was it Carol DiRamo, Julie Tracy, or Jason Scott? Julie Tracy. I um, often talk about the C's of investor relations, and one of them is, of course, being very credible, being very consistent, and part of that, of course, the foundational aspect of that is being very transparent. And so I'm available 24-7, 365, try to get them the information as quickly as they need it, and give them as much information as I can, um, especially the colors surrounding something. So not only answering the question, but maybe trying to give them some additional context whenever I can to help them understand and, and gain a, a greater appreciation for whatever it is the, the question was. Two prize winners left. Next comment. In terms of corporate governance, this firm is clearest 
about remuneration. Bysider says... Jason Scott, head of IR at J.P. Morgan Chase. It's an investor relations function. I mean, I think it is really, it's the constant communication with management and with our shareholders, um, really understanding what our shareholders, what research analysts, what the investing community broadly wants to understand, and then relaying that to management and trying to make sure that we are uh, you know, producing financial reporting, producing things that are strategic, that talk about financial results, backward-looking and forward-looking, really address what our shareholders, what the street in general wants to know about us, and trying to do that in a really crisp, clear way that, uh, that helps them do their job, helps them understand who J.P. Morgan Chase is and how to think about the firm. Only one prize winner on the board. The comment, she is as good as a CFO. Was it Carol DeRamo? I think part of it is my financial background, wanting to be a surrogate for the CFO so that your CFO and your CEO can be running the business while you can you know, handle most of the investor calls. So making sure you understand the financials, working with their finance and accounting department, um, which is great, um, and understanding the numbers yourself. IRTV with Ben Ashwell for the full interviews. You may think you know Jimmy too, but do you? I remember the first thing that I wanted. They were called flat tops, and I just coveted them so badly, but I was six years old, I had no wallet or anything, or no kind of way to get them. Who is Jimmy Choo? Hardcore punk outfit, but it was like sprayed on jeans, purple leopard print hair. Jimmy Choo is confident. The bed, slightly embarrassing, but you know, it was me, so. Playful. Always looking incredibly stylish. He respected Prince for his brave, brave style decision. Instinctively seductive. I try and go for an effortless style. I'm always dressing pretty dark, metropolitan, influenced by London. shoe and accessory maker has won some distinction among selective shoppers. And it's also achieved distinction in capital markets. Last year, Jimmy Choo became the first UK-listed company to host a virtual-only AGM. Shareholders around the world used a secure, downloadable app to take part in the electronic meeting, viewing slides, asking questions, and voting on resolutions. Tight security protocols meant that only those who traditionally would have been able to enter the physical meeting could access the platform and vote. For voting purposes, Jimmy Choo used the Lumi AGM mobile platform. In April, Vesta Capital backed an MBO at the virtual AGM software maker. Meanwhile, IR technology provider EQS Group handled Jimmy Choo's live presentation, an extra conference, and other tech stuff. EQS recently opened up its first New York office, and IR Magazine spoke with head of U.S. operations Marco Goldberg and business development manager Paulina Brown about its work with the luxury label and the outlook for online AGMs in the USA. I think 
just in general, and this not only affects uh, something like the virtual AGM, but I think across many industries, but particularly I think in IR, there's been this general movement towards digitization, um, globalization. Investors are located all around the globe, and with that new sort of element that's present for many companies, there's a need to be able to communicate to these global investors um, and do so uh, simultaneously, um, reaching all corners of the globe, and hopefully, you know, also to be realistic, you know, keep your costs down. EQS's Goldberg explains the decision at Jimmy Choo. Their executives uh, are on more on the, the progressive end in terms of how digital digital they are, and uh, we discussed certain options of having a hybrid, so an on-site event in addition to to a virtual conference. But basically, the the amount of people that showed up to to their event was so low. They decided to to you know cut down on the cost, as Paulina said, on, on having a hotel conference, having an on-site event, and just decided to go for. And now that the regulations would allow them to do so, go for a virtual AGM only. Following in Jimmy Choo's footsteps, the fully electronic meeting business seems set to grow. Virtual AGMs, not to be confused with hybrid meetings involving a physical location, could cut costs, save organizational time, and reduce the need for proxies, re-establishing, in a way, direct and possibly increased shareholder participation. It's not floodgates. I think whenever there's a big sort of universal change in terms of a format of anything, there's always an adoption period and there's, you know, the first movers and the early adapters who are excited to try something new and really want to set themselves aside in sort of an innovative digital way. And then there's a lot of companies who are comfortable with the way that they've been handling things with a hybrid solution or um, you know, whatever format that they've been doing it in. So we anticipate that there is going to be a shift towards a more digital direction in this field, like there is with everything. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we would love to <laughs> obviously see a, a huge increase in the demand for this kind of service. Brown says a high-touch approach goes a long way towards calming fear of the new using new technology that you're not, or even a provider that you're not completely familiar with and don't know if it's going to work and having your AGM, you know, be a flop is, you know, a total disaster. No one wants to deal with it. I know for Jimmy Choo, it was important. EQS provides sort of on-site operators and we also did a bunch of dry runs. We did rehearsals with their management team. So, I think that, you know, ensuring that any company who wants to explore this exciting new digital format, you know, it's important that you also make sure that you sort of have the support system that you need. You can read all about how Jimmy Choo broke the AGM mold in EQS's latest white paper, available at irmagazine.com. If there is a case for virtual-only AGMs, IROs will have to make it. Next week a different argument. It just doesn't make intuitive sense to revert to an environment where the emphasis is on maximizing control and keeping shareholders at a comfortable distance. The Council of Institutional Investors Research Director Glenn Davis on the case against virtual. That's all for this week's Ticker Podcast. 
Join IR Magazine online again Wednesday, May 31st. Lori Havlock delves into digital trends that drive investor engagement in the next IR Magazine webinar. Thanks for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cossette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.